All right. We've got Noah in the back with the, he's Mr. Microphone tonight, so I would ask uh, if you have a comment or something you want to share or ask a question, just raise your hand and, and Noah will jog or walk or make his way over to you with the microphone. That's for the benefit of people who are listening through live stream or me who can't hear, and, um, and then I think... Let's see, Will, where's, oh, Will has given out a summary of parables. This is not an all-inclusive list. It was just uh, from a reference book that I used. Jim, thank you for the book, The Pearl of Great Price. That's a good reference book, and we'll be talking about that more. We are going to start tonight on the topic of parables. And so I want to make this your study, a fun study. If you have a particular parable you want to deep dive, let me know. Um, and again, I'm, my personal philosophy as I teach is I don't like to lecture. I don't enjoy hearing myself. I enjoy hearing you because we learn together when we share and participate and discuss. And so none of us is as smart as all of us. So please feel free to raise your hand. There's no such thing as a silly question. You know, we can all learn together. So uh, we'll talk about parables tonight. Tonight's more of just an introduction to parables, to talk about the concept of parables in the Bible. And um, I want to begin tonight, kind of an unusual start to parables, but let's turn to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 8. Did everybody get a parable summary? Raise your hand if you did not. If you did not get one, okay. We can kind of use use those as a reference. The reason I'm taking you to Isaiah, this was part of my daily Bible reading in the Old Testament, and and it just sort of hit, it struck a chord with me as I was reading and thinking about parables, and so We will, we will start there and talk about maybe why parables were used by Jesus as the master teacher. We're going to start in verse 8 of chapter 55, Isaiah 55, 8. So here is Isaiah and he's uh, speaking on behalf of the Lord, the prophet Isaiah. And he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Now, this is not Isaiah saying this. This is Isaiah speaking on behalf of the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And what do you think he means by that? When the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Anybody have an idea? Why would Isaiah be speaking on behalf of the Lord and say that? Anybody? Okay. So, so basically, what I interpreted that to mean is, God is almost incomprehensible. He's, 
he is so wise and superior in every way, in power, knowledge, in, for, in foreknowledge. In, he created us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. But yet, we are finite and, and limited as far as our ability to understand things, right? We're, our view of eternity is limited by this by this physical earth that we see. And so God God understands everything. He understands eternity. He created the angels. He created us. And my point is, it's difficult for us to even really comprehend God and His nature. Would y'all agree with that? Yeah, he, he's just, I always said when I try to think about God and comprehend God, it sort of blows a fuse up here. I just can't, I, you know, it's way above my pay grade. I just can't, I can't even comprehend or fathom God. Sean, you had a comment or statement? Yeah, I was going to say, what did you say it was Isaiah? Yeah, Isaiah 55 well, verse 8. I mean, it was, that was he was asking. He was tired of Jesus. Well, Isaiah uh, wrote some passages that talked about the Messiah, the coming Jesus. You know, you may recall when that. When he said, Lord, my brethren. Yeah, Isaiah is the prophet that wrote about the coming of the Messiah, but he didn't really understand everything he wrote. Oh, yeah. Well, he probably was scratching his head like the rest of us going, what in the world does this mean? So. Yeah, later after the crucifixion, we go back and we, we read some of Isaiah's passages about the suffering servant, and all of a sudden it makes a ton of sense. I, so. I don't have a comment. Okay. All right. All right. We got Roy, uh, Roy down here. Yes, sir, Roy. I figure it kind of reminds you, it kind of reminds you of when God was talking to Job. Yes, and he was talking about you weren't there when you create when I created this. How would you have done this? Or yeah, what? yeah. Oh, I like that example. That's a good example, Roy. In other words, Job, uh, rightly so, had concerns and wanted an audience with God. God, I'm being persecuted. My friends are accusing me, and I want my day. Uh, I want to have a talk face to face because God, I've got some questions for you. You know. And, and I understand where Job's coming from. I'd feel the same way. But then what does God do? He says, before we have this discussion, Job, I do have a few questions for you first, right? And then he went into these questions that were unanswerable. Where were you, Job, when I did this? Where were you when this happened? Can you explain this? And Job's like, uh, no. Can't even begin to explain it. And, and so he basically says, excuse me, Lord, I'm just going to cover my mouth. I have nothing more to say. I get it, right? Your ways are up here. I'm down here. I'm your creation. Who am I to question you? So I'll be quiet. Uh, Ryan? One thing I, I think is kind of scary about this is when man tries to apply some sort of human logic to God's word. Yes. Um, I picked up a pamphlet in our foyer. Uh, and it was uh, it was about Mark sixteen sixteen for mm-hmm. whoever b- believes and is baptized shall be saved, but whoever disbelieves shall be condemned. And that pamphlet said there are four different beliefs about this verse, 
you know, and that's really scary because it seems pretty straightforward to me. And as I think that's something we need to keep in mind. We try to apply some sort of human logic. I think we need to go back to Isaiah 55 verse eight and realize mm-hmm. that. Yeah. If it's straightforward, it's straightforward. If God said it, I believe it. Doesn't mean I have to always understand it, and I certainly don't have to explain the logic. But we just have to fear God and keep His commandments and know and trust Him. Roy, are you done? Oh, okay. Just made sure. Man, he he said his piece and left. I'm like, okay, he's coming back. I'm just giving him a hard time. All right, let's keep reading. And by the way, thank you for these comments. Good stuff. Verse nine, four. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. So how much higher are the heavens than the earth? Well, first of all, what heaven are we talking about? Are we talking about the first heaven? Are we talking about the second heaven? Or are we talking about the third heaven? Y'all know the difference, right? The first heaven is the blue sky where the birds fly. The second heaven is where the stars and the moon and the sun reside. We would call that our space outer space. The third heaven is that place unknown to man, never seen before, where God and the angelic beings that have been created reside, which is where? We don't know. Where's the end of the universe? We don't know. It's infinitesimally big, right? It's so big we can't even comprehend how big the universe is. And so he said, basically, it's so different and so high that you can't even comprehend the difference, right? And so why, why do I bring this verse up as we begin to study parables? All right? He goes on to say, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So a couple of things I want to point out about Isaiah 55. One, God is so superior to mankind, we can't even really comprehend him. And, and so, um, which, which brings a real interesting question, if God wants us to comprehend him, but yet we can't comprehend him, how in the world is he going to bridge the, the knowledge gap between who God really is in a way that we can understand him? Make sense? How can he bring down himself in a way that we get and we understand? Well, y'all know his answer, right? What did God do? All right, one is the Holy Spirit. What else? The son. He sent himself, how? The in the flesh, a man who was God, but yet was fleshly in every way. He was 100% man, 100% God. But yet Jesus went one step further to help us understand this God that we can't comprehend and his kingdom that we have trouble understanding. Jesus taught a certain way, and used a method called, what? Parables. Right. All right. So um, you, you had your microphone. Well, I'm sorry. Tom, I, uh, you know God's problems, not his. It's ours. And we are a finite creation. Everything he, he has done is finite. Right. And uh, I can't even get my mind around the fact that Jesus 
And the Holy Spirit was with God in the beginning. I, I know. What's the beginning, by the way? Yeah, what is the beginning? Define that. Uh, and, and it's amazing, even today in real time, I just watched a show yesterday on the uh, Hubble um, telescope and that other one. I can't even remember the name of it. Yeah, I think there's a new one now. Yeah, the latest one. Whatever it's called. And so, of course, man's greatest invention. And they're just now finding out, guess what? The universe is still expanding. God is still creating. And, And I thought, yeah, he's told you that. You just weren't smart enough to figure it out. And now you're looking for the evidence of him through your own inventions and contrivances. But he's done, he's, he's done it, he's doing it, and he will continue to do it till he chooses not to. Mm-hmm. And to me, I find great comfort in the fact that he is in charge. I'm not, you're not, nobody on this world is. Amen. Uh, including Satan. Amen. So uh, let us, when we can't find facts, let us find peace in the reality of God being I'm God, I'm Yahweh, Amen. I am Him, Amen. I'm the one. Uh, you know, He says it in so many ways in parables. We've got all these parables. Right. It's just God trying to help us. They just don't understand, Jesus. You know, we're going to have to take another, come another angle at them. Yeah. And the, the Scriptures talk about the manifold wisdom of God. That means many-sided. Mm-hmm. W- mm-hmm. God is so wise, and He has so many sides to Him. You got any question, He answers it. Matter of fact, He created it. Uh, I love the one about numbering the. He can number the hairs on your head. Yes, and and mine. Right. Although they're they're getting fewer every year, they're still he can number them. That's you right. You see, Glenn, those are uh, 150 hairs less than you had last year, but he knows. Yeah, those numbers are changing constantly, aren't they? Well, and I find such comfort in that. Yeah, you know the the old hymn, "Time is filled with transition." It means things are going to keep changing Amen. under our feet and around us. And we just need to have faith and hope and joy in the fact that he's be, he'll be here for us. So I chose Isaiah basically to help us begin to understand God can never really truly be comprehended, but he wants us to get to know him and have that intimacy, that relationship. As a matter of fact, God said, I, I want to come and live inside you. I want to indwell uh, through my Holy Spirit and give you a peace and a comfort of my own presence. But what I love about Jesus is I think Jesus basically, he just came as God with skin on, somebody that we could relate to and see and listen to his teachings. And so it was Jesus' task, if you will, to say, I want to tell you about my Father, you know, and my being here is good news. I have a story about redemption and the things that I'm going to do to, to uh, reconcile you in this lost and sinful relationship to my Father. You can do it through me, and I want to teach you about His kingdom, which is a very different kingdom than this earth. You know, so many Jews, I think almost all the Jews, thought Jesus was coming back to establish a powerful earthly kingdom and overthrow Rome, but the truth was Jesus said, this kingdom, it's temporary. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go away. Matthew 24, Matthew 25. These things are going to pass. Everything's going to burn up. But my kingdom uh, is, is eternal. It's forever. And, and, and so I'm, here's what Jesus is basically saying. While I'm here, I want to teach you things that are spiritual in nature that you can't grasp. So I want to use 
everyday things that you can understand and relate to and try to bridge the physical to the spiritual to teach you about God and his kingdom. So we, we start to grasp through parables that God is, is profoundly spiritual. and He's given us an eternal soul and mind and spirit, but yet it's housed in a physical body. So these things that Jesus began to teach about, these, these were things that uh, we could relate to. I, I made a note here that Jesus uses simple and earthly things to bridge our thoughts toward the eternal, spiritual, immortal, all-powerful kingdom to which we belong. And so he, he's trying to say, I know you're, you're limited in these physical bodies, and I know your minds can't comprehend what I'm telling you, but I'm going to try to teach you these things by using everyday objects and tell you about my Father's kingdom. Make sense? Now, even when he told the parables, the apostles in some times had to come back and say, um, can you repeat that? Or, or could you ex- explain it to us? Because we still don't understand. And, and what we're going to learn as we study parables is in some cases, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, even the Sanhedrin heard Jesus speak in parables and they're like, this guy's crazy. We you know, he told a story and nobody understood it. And they went away shaking their head going, we don't get him. It doesn't make any sense. But yet those who had the ability to discern and think and pray about it began to understand that Jesus was telling a story that actually made a lot of sense. All right, thoughts or comments? Does that make sense? So what were some of the things, y'all help me out here, what are some of the things that Jesus talks about in his stories that were everyday common things or people or objects or help us out? Just holler out. What are the things in the stories in his? Ah, okay. Agrarian society. So a sower went out to sow. He talks about seed, broadcasting, farmers. He talks about weeds, doesn't he? Good. All right, so that's going to be in some of our parables. Very good, Ryan. Anybody else? Yeah. Obedient sons, disobedient sons, sons that are foolish. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Yeah. God's God's ways are so superior that we'll never really truly comprehend Him. But I appreciate the fact that Jesus came and attempted to help us have insight and understand about the Father. The kingdom of heaven is like you'd hear Him say that often. In these parables, so let me let me kind of just share with you the list I came up with real quick uh, about common things that men could relate to everyday items. For example, a runaway son who breaks his dad's heart. Which one is that? 
Ah, you guys know that. You remember that story, right? We can all relate to it. Because we've all had friends who had rebellious sons, right? Yeah, we understand that. We get that. And maybe some of you have rebellious children. A man who falls into the hands of robbers, but is shown great kindness by a complete stranger. Ah, good Samaritan. So what is that parable teaching us? Yeah. What was the question this, this young man asked? Who is my neighbor? Right? Who is Love thy neighbor as thyself. Who is my neighbor? He asked Jesus. Jesus told him a story, didn't he? I'll tell you about your neighbor. And what I love about the Good Samaritan, and we'll talk about this later, is the hero of the story was someone the Jews hated. A Samaritan. Ugh, worse than a dog. All right? Uh, Jesus talks about um, a wedding feast and people getting ready for the bridegroom. You remember that one? What's the name of that parable? Have to think for a minute. Say again. Yeah, the foolish virgins, right? There were some who were prepared, some that were not prepared. So it's really a it's really a a story about being prepared for the arrival of the bridegroom. When Jesus comes, be ready. Be ready at all times. Um, plant seeds, weeds, sun, thorns, and a crop. Ryan, what's that one? The parable of... Parable of the soils, or the parable of the sower, right? Sorry. Yeah, we all understand. We know these stories, right? We've committed the memory. And that's another beautiful thing about parables is they're simple stories that we can relate to. Simple stories we can relate to. Uh, Here's another one. A man who cares deeply for one lost sheep, he goes on a rescue mission leaving all the other sheep, right? That's just called the parable of the lost sheep. So what is that story about? What can we learn from it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It says that he left the 90 and 9 and went and sought. He went to seek after the one lost sheep. In other words, the, the parable in my mind as we study this one is, does our Lord really love lost people? Yeah, he does. And he dispatches someone to search, to go and, and even leave the 99 faithful, but go search for that one lost sheep. Jesus really loved lost people. All right, here's the last one. I just wanted to give an example. A boss who leaves some valuable resources in the hands of his servants and returns later to see how things have gone under their management and care. Ah, the, yeah, parable of the talents. Y'all know this one, don't you? All right. So let's talk about the first parable in the Bible. This is a tough one. I bet y'all can't get this one. The first parable mentioned in the Bible. This surprised me. Anybody know? Want to take a shot? What? What? 
He's looking at the top of the list. Sorry. Pardon? Anybody want to guess? No. No, it, it's, this is a hard question. I'm going to stump you. I really am. Because I didn't know the answer. If the teacher didn't know, I mean. It's, okay, y'all want, to, y'all want to check it out? This is a parable. Turn to Judges 9. Judges 9, verses 7 through 15. You see, it may surprise you, but parables are not limited only to the New Testament. They were used as a teaching tool throughout the Bible and in times of history before the Bible. These are simple stories that are used in every civilization to teach a moral lesson. Who's heard of Aesop's fables? Sound familiar? Those are parables. I still remember as a little kid, uh, the ant and the grasshopper. There was a Disney record that I wore out. All oh, the world owes me a living. I, it's burned into my brain. And I remember those very busy little ants and the lazy grasshoppers, and the ants were working and working, and the grasshoppers got cold. Anyway, I remember those stories. And it teaches me to get out and work. Get out and work. Don't expect other people to provide for you, especially when winter comes. All right, Judges 9. Who's got Judges 9? Who would like to read? Glenn, can we get Glenn? Uh, Judges 9, read 7 through 15, and we'll just, we won't spend a lot of time on this. But my point is, this is a parable in the Old Testament. Uh, Beginning uh, verse 17. uh, Judges 9, verse 7. Yes. 7 through 15. Right. When they told Jotham, he climbed to the top of Mount Gerizim, raised his voice, and called to them, Listen to me, lords of Shechem, and may God listen to you. The trees set out to anoint king over themselves. They said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Should I stop giving my oil that honors both God and man and rule over the trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, Come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I stop giving my sweetness and my good fruit and rule over trees? Later the trees said to the grapevine, Come and reign over us. But the grapevine said to them, Should I stop giving my wine that cheers both God and man and rule over trees? Finally all the trees said to the bramble, Come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If you really are anointing me as king over you, come and find refuge in my shade. But if not, may fire come out from the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now, if you've acted faithfully and honestly in making Abimelech king, if you have done well but Jerubbabel and his family, if you have rewarded him appropriately for what he did, For my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you from the hand of Midian. Whoo, Glenn, I'm so glad you're going to explain that to us tonight. All right. Yeah, well, we'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's, excuse me, go ahead. Okay, the the meaning, basically, let me go back and, and explain some context. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but why was the parable told? First of all, who remembers Gideon? All right. Yeah. What did Gideon? What was he known for? 
several things. One was uh, wanting to put God to the test before he'd commit himself. Right. Remember the, remember the dew on the ground and the fleece, the test? But the Lord called Gideon to do what? To fight against uh, what appeared in man's eyes a lost battle. A pagan army who had been whooping up on God's people and they were scared. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press, right? He was hiding, but they would come and steal livestock and and crops. And and basically, it was just terrorizing God's people. An angel of the Lord calls Gideon and says, Hello, mighty warrior. Gideon's like, "Uh, say what? Well, anyway, Gideon's led into battle. He uses unconventional techniques what God told him a, to do. A large percentage of his army gets sent away, and so God basically makes Gideon successful by, remember, smashing the jars and the lamps and right for the Lord and for Gideon, and, and, and it puts the pagan army into a panic, and they kill each other, and it's just a great story. Gideon ended up having 70 sons, and then he had another son by a concubine, right? Well, this one concubine son, sort of, decided he wanted to be the king. So what does he do? Anybody know? He kills all 70 sons on one rock. They're gone, right? Man, he just wiped out the whole lineage of Gideon. And this one no-good semi-son through a concubine decides he's going to be the king. Well, out of the 70 sons, one survivor stands up on a hill and calls out to these people and said, y'all have done a wicked, terrible thing. You want this guy to be your king? Really? Really? Is that the kind of character you want? So if you follow the story, they don't choose the good trees to be their king. Who do they choose? Remember? The thorn bush. The bramble bush. Yeah, the thorn bush who ended up being a horrible, wicked leader anyway. So there, there goes the whole you know, corruption because they, they sink out this terrible person with terrible character to be their king. And so that's why this parable or story is told. But quickly, let's move on. Any thoughts or comments on that? Does, well, well, one other, Tom. Y- yes. And it's amazing how God uses our ignorance and our prejudices and our things that... We've convinced ourselves we understand things and things are right as we set them in place. And God's showing us, no, that doesn't work that way. And the very thing, you know, he's using this allegory, very simple thing, the way he's using it, but he's talking about people. Right. not talking about, I thought, when you, I first started reading this, I thought, well, what in the world does that have to do with people? Well, yeah. it had everything in the world to do with people. Absolutely. Because it described not only their nature, but their their work ethic. Their, there's so much in there. Yeah. And it always is with God's parables and with God's Word. There's, right. Don't skim over it. Don't read too fast because you're going to miss something. Yeah. He's got yeah. something in there that's eternal wisdom. And, and if you're, you're like a gold miner digging through pure gold looking for a nugget or two of something right. else. Yeah, so conventionally, we probably have never been taught that that's a parable, but it is one of the Old Testament parables that's used, an allegory, a teaching. It's, it's symbols of earthly things that convey a concept about the character of people. Now, here's one you can all relate to. I love this story, but you may not realize this is a parable. Turn to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. 
Who wants to read for us? Uh, Roy, do you mind? One through six. Second Samuel 12, one through six. We can all relate to this and we understand what it is. And the Lord said to Nathan, sent Nathan to David, and he came to, came, came to him and said to him, There were two men in one in a city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished, and it grew up together with him. And with his children, it ate his own food, and it drank from his own cup. It lay in his, and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And the traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from, the, from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare the one for the wayfaring man, who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man that came in <clears throat> that had come to him. So David's anger was greatly accosted against the man and said to Nathan, "As the Lord lives, the man who did, who has done this this day shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold the lamb because he did the thing he did this thing, and because he had no pity." And Nathan said to David. You are the man. That wasn't a compliment, was it? You know, nowadays we go like, you're the man, right? You're the man. But that didn't mean what it means today. You're the man means what? You're the, you're the rich man of the story. You see, what I love about verse 6 and verse 5 is, is at this point we see David's face starting to turn red, right? And you can see the veins sticking out on his neck. And you see his fists start to clench. He's getting angry and emotional about this story. Because as far as he's concerned, as it's being related and told to him by Nathan, he thinks it's a real story. But you see, it is a real story, isn't it? It's a parable. It's an allegory about who? It's about him. And he's angry. This man, he says, deserves to die. He just indicted himself. He's going to have to pay restitution. And then what did Nathan say? Uh, David, you're that man. And all of a sudden we could see David's countenance fall. Because he realizes all of a sudden that this is not about sheep. It's about him taking the wife of a very loyal soldier who was killed in battle by his own command. He took that wife because he abused his power. And now he suffers the consequences. That's powerful. Just a second. Let's get you the microphone. Sorry. You're welcome, Facebook observers. Right. You know, you could write a, well, it, it has been written about David's life. and But can you imagine uh, how low David had gone in the fact that Uriah, who was an honorable man of military service, and David 
calls him back and says, let's get him back in here so he'll sleep with his wife. Yeah, get a little wine in him. Knowing. Hey, your knowing, wife's beautiful. Go, go stay with her tonight. Knowing that he had got her pregnant, the king of, yeah. of Egypt, or a king of Egypt, the king of, uh, uh, somebody help me out, I'm Israel. <laughs> but uh, how low can you get? Yeah. You know, sneaking, conniving. Well, here, here's what's really bad is Uriah the Hittite doesn't go back oh, to his home. Out of loyalty to his king, he sleeps in the, basically in the, in the doorway of the oh, palace. And, and then David says, uh, Uriah, I've got a little note I need you to take back to the front, right? And so he seals this note, folds it up, gives it to Uriah. Uriah never reads it. Y'all know what it is? It's a death sentence. I want Uriah to be in the heat of the battle. Y'all fall back and let him be killed. He's carrying his own death sentence. He's that loyal to the king. He never opened it up. He never read it. You know, if I'd been Uriah, I might have been tempted to take a peek. Ooh. Whoa. I think this note may just get lost. You know, we we see occasion where military men are so honorable, so dedicated. Yeah. And yet... Politicians, uh, mercenary people uh, will use them, abuse them. Uh, I can start naming. Uh, I can name a few dead bodies from Pakistan recently that were just left there, left to die, left on their own. And it's happened time. It's just not this time. It's many times. And yet, what was what was was David not a stench in the nostrils of God with what he was doing now? How God kept from striking him deader than a doornail, I don't know. Because, you know, this is, this is supposedly the man after my own heart, and he's doing this. This is not my heart. This is not my will. Uh, this is not me in any way, shape, or form. And so uh, that's, that's telling me one, there's only one bright spot in this whole thing is, is Glenn, if you're sorry as you are sometime in your life, the biggest mistake maker, sinner, Look what David did, and God took him back. There's, there's still hope for you and a lot of other sinners just like you. It makes you believe in the Lord's grace, doesn't it? By the way, we don't really have time tonight, but based on this horrific abuse of power and, and how he treated such a loyal and faithful warrior by sending this warrior back with his own death sentence because he just happened to be lusting after this man's wife and got her pregnant, Wow. Get, if you get a chance, just read Psalm 51 at some point with all the story and context, right? And what he did and how egregious his sin was. We see maybe, Glenn, why David was a man after God's own heart when he, David, writes Psalm 51. That's a man that has a broken spirit and he's truly repentant. Truly repentant. And, and at the end of the psalm, he says, Lord, I, I would like to ask if you could restore to me the joy I once had when I was a man who was saved by you. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Don't take your spirit from me. And that's his plea, a very contrite, broken man who wept, I'm sure, as he wrote this. Beautiful passage. Beautiful. So, 
just an example of a couple of Old Testament parables. Maybe you've never really made that connection that those are parables, but yet they're powerful stories. We see, we see what power this parable brought upon David himself as he uh, accused and indicted himself of this terrible crime, abuse of power. Quickly, while we've got just a few minutes left, we're almost out of time. The word uh, parable comes from the Greek parabole, P-A-R-A-B-O-L-E, parabole. And basically, in Greek, it means to lay alongside. If you were to take, um, say, a stick and you wanted to compare another stick to it, you would lay those sticks side by side. You would compare them to see if they're the same thickness or length. That's what parable literally means, to compare, uh, lay alongside. Y'all who've taught math, I know uh, Stacy's a math teacher. When you have something that is parabolic, right? Stacy, what does that mean? Can you help me out here? Something that's a parabolic shape? I put him on the spot. I'm not sure how to relate this to, <laughs> to Scripture, but... Um... It is a, um, I mean, it's a mirror image. Okay. You draw, you draw a line down the center of that object, right? Okay. And what you'll notice is that it's the same area on both sides. How do you know that? Here's your answer to the question. Because you compare one to the other and take a close look. And if you're, if you're able to, you can calculate the area when you divide that in the middle, right? You put one on one side, one on the other side, draw a line in the middle, you compare. It's the same area or space in a par- parable, parabolic image, right? Or an ellipse, elliptical, right? Think of, pardon? Yeah, so where, how that relates to the Bible is when you have... Uh, a parable or a parabolic uh, object where you you basically draw a line segment right down through the middle of it, that forces you to compare the left side and the right side to calculate the area of each, and you find they're identical, right? How would you know that? You have to compare. So it's, it's the Greek origin of where we get parable, parabolic, right? to lay alongside and compare the two. And what God challenges us to do when Jesus teaches parables is first he presents an earthly story, things that we can relate to like sheep, seed, soil, or wedding feast. But then he says, now I'm asking you to lay down next to it a spiritual application to understand the kingdom. So I'm putting an earthly story down now, I want you to understand the spiritual application. Yes, sir. Along those lines, um, every parabola has a foci. Your headlights on your car are made parabolically. That way, anything that touches the parabola like for, will be reflected to a point in the middle. Interesting. So in these stories, when people hear the story, no matter where or how they connect to the story, it still points them to the author, no matter how they how the story hits them. Yeah, yeah. Parabolic 
dimensions and measurements are kind of neat out there in the mathematical world. I always struggled in math, Stacy. I'm sorry. My brain just didn't get it. I guess I think better in other areas, but parables are pretty cool. If you really study them and look at them, and if you, if you figure out where the center is and draw the line in the middle of that parabolic object, you'll notice the same on each side, the same area. But you have to compare left to right. You draw a line, lay them next to each other, compare. So it's the same idea with the Greek of parabole, P-A-R-A-B-O-L-E, to lay alongside or make comparison. That's what we'll be doing in the next few weeks. So I guess what I'm asking you as students is let me know where you want to do a deep dive. Here I've given you uh, a list. You have a list of some of the parables that we'll be covering. We may not cover all of them, but if you have one in particular that you really, really love and you want to do a deep dive, let me know, and we'll do that. It's here for This class is for you, for your benefit, but we're going to be talking about some categories of parables, um, and we're kind of, we'll try to lump some together and see what are some of the applications we can make in what Jesus teaches. So I find it interesting that as Jesus taught some of these stories, um, some were very easy to comprehend, some were not so easy to comprehend, and it requires some thought and comparison and prayer. So on the, on the surface, it may not make any sense, but when you go away and ponder and think about it and mull over it, it might start making more sense. All right, any thoughts or comments as we close our, our class tonight? We're about out of time. Anybody? Thank you so much for your comments tonight. Did you learn something tonight? Yes? One person learned something? Two, two people? Three? Which? That Old Testament parable? Yeah, and, and that's why I told you I was going to stump you because I didn't know either. I just read a book. Somebody was a lot smarter than me, and they said, hey, check out this parable in the Old Testament. And I'm like, whoa. I've read that before, but I didn't really make the connection. It's a parable, but it's applying toward human nature, character, and why in the world would you pick a scoundrel to be your king? The thorn bush of all trees. So it makes sense. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed the lesson tonight, and we're going to continue studying parables next week. I will not be teaching class. We will have the Bible Bowl Throwdown. Y'all remember what that is? Right? Some of you may be victims, I mean volunteers, that get to answer the questions and hold up the A, B, C, or D. So, If Shannon has contacted you, then you are a, a, a volunteer. All right. You having a good week? Yeah, good. We've been fighting with insurance for Miss Meg. She's trying to get an injection for her bones. You know, she has brittle bones. Yeah. And uh, we've been fighting and fighting and fighting with insurance to try to get this thing approved. We finally got it approved. It's taken two months. Yeah. Yeah. They call it osteopenia or osteopedia. Osteopenia.
osteoporosis or osteopenia. tends to be a problem with older women that have calcium deficiency, especially smaller frame women. So as they get older, they, they're more prone to bone breaks and things if they fall. So we've got a specialist at Vanderbilt Meg's going to start seeing. And I feel she's had some issues with her toes hurting, maybe a side effect of Taking this for about three years. It's a, it's a, it's a, if insurance doesn't cover it, it's a thousand dollars per shot. <laughs> yeah, every every six months. I hate to break up good fellowship tonight, but we'll offer a, a brief invitation. The invitation song is number 576, There's a Fountain Free. You know, there's people down in Florida right now that are probably saying, maybe this wasn't a good idea to stay. You think so? Yeah? Pardon? Yeah. Well, we hear this in every hurricane. Survivors are interviewed after the fact that we thought we were going to die. You know, we heard the warnings, but we thought, ah, it won't be that bad. And, and then they'll tell you about spending a whole night where they were terrified, thinking the house was going to blow over, the, the, the uh, walls creak, and, you know, it's terrifying. So I, I, got, I guess I've got a rhetorical question is why when people are warned something's coming that could cause you to die, why they're like, ah, it's okay. Ah, it, it'd be fine. We're going to tough it out. We're, we're tough, you know. And then later they're, they're scared to death, thinking they're going to die. There's, it's something about human nature, you know. I know, I know, you hear the warning. Thank you, Mr. Policeman. We know we're supposed to evacuate. We're fine, you know. Come on, really? We can decide. God tries to warn us in the Bible about his coming, right? Matthew 24, Matthew 25, Matthew, I'm coming, be ready. But yet when he comes, when the trumpet sounds and the angels descend, there are going to be people that are terrified that have no clue what's happening. Why? They didn't heed a warning. So I appreciate y'all being here tonight, and I believe that you believe that Jesus is coming back, and I hope and believe that you're also going to be ready, that you'll be prepared, and that you do take the warning seriously. You see, it may save your life. So the invitation is yours. Five, seven, six, there's a fountain free. We invite you to come. If you need prayer, if you need encouragement, whatever we can do to invite you and encourage you tonight. Wes is going to lead us. Let's sing together. There's a fountain free, tis for you and me. Let us be so great to its free. 
Thank you, Wes. In just a moment, uh, David's going to lead us in a closing prayer, so I'd ask if you could direct any prayer request or clarification on, on those names that you'll uh, let David know, and he'll lead us in prayer in just a moment. Um, anybody that we need to remember that's sick or recovering? I went to see Bill Young today, and he's still going through therapy rehab and working with uh, a crew that's going to be modifying his house, trying to make it um, something that will accommodate him with his stroke. So just keep Bill and BJ in, in prayer. Uh, anyone else that we need to mention recovering? Yeah, Anne's still doing well, recovering at home. Okay. From, yeah, she's she's got basically a four-week recovery. We want to remember uh, Patsy Heron. Patsy's still getting a little stronger every day, but she's limited for a few weeks in what she can do. Glad Patsy got through her surgery. No, no, Bill does not have any use of a, of his left leg or his left arm. Yeah, there's no movement at this time. So I know that's going to be career impacting and impact his life in a lot of ways. All right, anyone else that we need to remember? Updates on our sick. Virginia Fortner, okay. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. All right. Dale Murray's grandmother. Sorry about that, Dale. Oh, I was not aware of that. Mike Smith. Okay. Yeah, Mike and Leanne. Or Lee Smith, okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying that his mom is a primary caregiver, a lot of burden on her. Yeah. It's tough. Tough being a caregiver. Very difficult. All right. Um, if there's no more up health updates, then we'll move on to some general announcements. Lady Sewing Group, tomorrow at 1230 here. Bible Bow Practice, Sunday at 4 Men's business meeting, that'll be at 4 o'clock this Sunday. All men of the congregation encouraged to attend. 
Robertson County congregation is having a gospel meeting that will begin October 5th. Uh, there is a f- flyer in the foyer. Uh, Youth and Senior Supper is coming up Wednesday, October 5th. There is a sign-up sheet if you're uh, able to bring food. All teachers, teacher assistants, VBS helpers, uh, anybody who taught during the year, we want to invite you to come to the teacher banquet. That's October 22 here at the building, 6 p.m. in the fellowship hall. So we'd love for you to come if you're involved in our education and sign up on the board. Uh, Also, there is a uh, shower for Becca Lacombe and Madison Wallace. Um, This Wallace family, boy, we're really growing, aren't we? Thank you, Wallace family. Becca and Madison, uh, that's Sunday, October 23rd at 2. Becca's expecting a boy. Madison is expecting a girl. Uh, Saturday, October 29, the ladies are invited to a brunch at the Thicket. This is at Shannon Garrett's house at 10 a.m., So sign up on the sheet bulletin board. Also, the bonfire, this is the fall bonfire, will be November 5, 5 p.m. at Chris and Carrie Lanier's house, and they'll get more details to us as it gets closer to that date. What's our count tonight? 92, yay, okay. Have we missed any announcements before we're led in prayer? Anybody, any updates? Oh, yeah, men's retreat, October, October 14. Good, yeah. Brother Richard Garza is going to be coming, and he's bringing one of his elders, so we're excited to have them as guests. So uh, it's a good event. Looking forward to it. Friday night, Saturday. So if you haven't signed up for the men's retreat, let Howard know. We'd love for you to come. It'll be at Kentucky Dam Village Friday night and most of Saturday. So looking forward to that time of fellowship. So if you haven't signed up, men, we want to invite you to come and, and be part of that retreat. All right. If there's no more announcements or updates, we're going to ask David to come and lead us in our closing prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this time of worship that we've had, and we just thank you so much for your son Jesus and his sacrifice. And we just ask that you help us to take what we've learned here and, and what we know about your son and his sacrifice and to share it with those around us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Stroudsville and for the work that's being done. And we ask that you continue to give us the courage and strength to uh, reach out in this world and, and to share your word and to let people know about your son and his great sacrifice. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our elders and their spiritual leadership. And we just ask that you continue to bless their families and bless the work that they do. And we just ask that you help us as a congregation to continue to grow. Heavenly Father, we know that there are many who are unable to be here tonight, uh, some by choice, and we just ask that you help us to encourage them and let them know how much they were missed. Um, Most of all, Heavenly Father, we want to pray for those who are struggling physically, going through recoveries. We pray for Bill Young and his recovery, uh, and BJ and and her uh, time that will be spent taking care of him. We ask that you be with Ann Robinson and Patsy Heron as they continue to recover, and we just ask that you give them uh, strength in their health. Uh, we ask that you be with Virginia Fortner's, Dale's grandma, and we just ask that you be with her as she deals with cancer and a fall, and we just ask that you uh, continue to be with her caregivers as they uh, work through those issues. Beverly King. And Beverly King, 
who's uh, dealing with heart issues as well. We just ask that you be with her and her family. And also Mike Smith, who's dealing with heart issues, and we just ask that you continue to uh, bless him and, and give him back his health. Heavenly Father, we're just thankful for each other. We're thankful for the encouragement that we have, and we just ask that you continue to help us to lift up these individuals and lift up each other. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you so much for this time together. But most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.